0: Welcome to Heavy Networking, the flagship podcast in the Packet Pushers fleet. I'm Drew Conry murray My shipmate today is Ethan Banks. Today we're going to have a design discussion about various approaches to load balancing radius servers, and this is to ensure that uh, our guest infrastructure can support all the clients that need to access a wireless network. That guest is Dan Massimeno. He's Director of Network and Cloud Architecture at Yale University. Uh, Dan went through this process of building out this load balancing infrastructure, and he happened to write a series of blogs about it that are on Packet Pushers. We'll have links to those blogs in the show notes. But after reading the series, we thought it would be great to have Dan on to talk through what he did, why he did it, and what he learned in the process. Uh, so, Dan, welcome to the podcast. Can you just give us a brief overview of who you are and what you do and then uh, talk a little bit about the environment you're working in?
1: Sure, yes. I am the Director of Networking Cloud Architecture at Yale University in Connecticut in the United States. And we are in the process of switching to SD Access, which is a Cisco product for Campus Networks. Mm -hmm. And a huge part of that architecture is authenticating you whether you're on wireless or wired. Uh, I want to start by saying I do not represent my employer or the vendor. Uh, The views are expressed on this podcast are my own. But other than that, I'm happy to talk about some of the experiences and our radius system.
0: Okay, of course, and yes, you are representing yourself and that's a given here, but I'm glad you said it. Uh, yeah, so the general idea is you you want to load balance and radius servers or in the, uh, I guess, Cisco parlance policy service nodes. Uh, what kind of infrastructure are we talking about? And also what kind of performance were you looking to get?
1: So we have an urban campus here at the university. We're using Cisco DNA Center. Uh, we're migrating to that system uh, from an older system of a mix of vendors. We have about a thousand switches And 4,000 plus wireless access points on the new Cisco SD access system. We have Mm -hmm. about 5,000 access points on the legacy wireless system that we're migrating off of. And we have about 1,000 switches still that are not on uh, SD access. Uh, We're tracking about more than 70,000 active sessions on Cisco ICE, which is Cisco's Authentication System Identity Services Engine. Yep. Their Radius Server, which we might use the terms interchangeably, Radius Server and Cisco PSN, which is their policy services node, which is the part of the ICE architecture that actually does the authenticating of wired and wireless. I've been working here at Yale for a while, and I'm working on a team with a team of about 18 other network engineers. It's a great team, a lot of deep bench that we are able to maintain a network of over 300 buildings here in the New Haven and surrounding Mm -hmm. area. And we have a great situation where because we are in an urban area and have been in New Haven for so long that we have a lot of dark fiber. And so we can treat it as a giant uh, metro land. So that means we can light fiber up with 10 gig, 100 gig, whatever the you know, whatever we can light it up with. Uh, yeah. And the uh, the cost for hundred gig optics is not a huge speed bump if you're building a backbone
2: and you have the own your own fiber. So that's an awesome point for the network. Well, that's great that you can light up your own fiber. I, I used to work for a uh, state government and we had buildings across the capital city, but we did not own our fiber all over the city. We had lots of fiber on certain campuses, but to k- interconnect the campuses, it was a whole thing to get fiber laid and so on. It was a we were like any other tenant uh needing to get fiber placed and so on so that you have access to that fiber can light it up at will and lots of dark pairs waiting for you is uh, is pretty awesome uh so dan you mentioned uh you got two psns you you knew what capacity they could handle you talked about seventy thousand sessions i think you said so with this load balancing scenario you're trying to use them both active active or is one there as a failover
1: so we started with two uh radio servers Because at the beginning of the project, we didn't have anything going on. I mean, we hadn't done building one yet. Mm -hmm. And we built the infrastructure with two, you know, the PSNs, the radius servers, and we just did active standby. And we did split it up so that we have four sites. The network's divided into four areas, and areas A and C were used the first radius server as it's active, and the second one as it's standby, and sites B and D. We did it reverse, so that's kind of a poor man's load balancing, very rough cut. And we were going with that setup for a while as we started to do our first initial three pilot buildings, and we're ramping up and we're getting more and more. And two things happened. One was uh, we're bringing on more and more buildings onto the network. Our target is 300 buildings. We're probably in a few months going to be halfway done with the project. So we're bringing more buildings on, more authentications per second, more users, so that meant we need to scale out. And the other problem, but not a problem, an engineering challenge, is that you can't plan on just the raw spec sheet of how many authentications per second your platform can do. Because you get spikes of activity. And they're from right. natural causes like uh, the commencement day. And there's a lot of guests on the campus. And unnatural causes, poorly written EAP supplicants on poorly designed smartphones that will just decide to get into a loop and send 10 authentications per second at you. (laughs) And you can't plan on that not happening. So now you have to scale out well ahead of uh, what we thought we were gonna need uh, and implement what we knew we had to implement ultimately, but we had to get there, which is more and more radius servers and scale out.
0: Okay, so two radius servers, two PSNs weren't cutting it. You knew you needed to add more. Uh, But you also kind of had this almost like hard coded mechanism for distributing the load across those radio servers. And you decided, like,
1: this isn't going to scale. Yeah. So one phenomenon that we observed is if one radio server started to get bogged down, it would start to, you know, switches and the wireless LAN controllers, would start to time out and hit their dead interval timer. And then they'd flip over to the other radio server. So Mm -hmm. now all the load is flipping onto the one remaining server, and then that starts to get overloaded, and then the whole system is getting overloaded. And so it doesn't really dynamically balance well because it's very, I mean, it's not balancing uh, on its own, and we need to scale it out. So now we're talking about four PSNs. Today we're doing six PSNs, uh, radius servers, and the prescribed course of action by the vendor, Cisco, was put uh, a pair of F5s in front of it. Mm-hmm. Cisco doesn't care if they're Citrix, load balancers, or or, or A10s, but they have a lot of uh, documentation on how to do it on an F5. And they yeah. said, this is how we've done it. At a lot of other places, we were using Cisco Advanced Services, which is their consulting arm. So we had those guys in, uh, and they were showing us Here's a design template of how to do it. And they were doing it with
2: F5s. So, it's so funny. I mean, Cisco, Cisco used to have load balancers years ago. That was a whole significant product line for them. But boy, that goes back a ways.
1: Yeah, they, they were saying F5s. And you don't want to get outside the comfort zone of your vendor in terms of what they can support. So if you build something snowflake, and then something needs to be, uh, you, you know, Cisco TAC, Tech, Technical Assistance Center. They need to look at something like, well, what have you built here? Like, that's a problem mm. for mean time to restoration. Mm. So we, we did. We actually put the F5s in. So the start of the journey, we had a very, very simple system, and it had enough capacity for us. And then as we scaled out the middle part of this journey, we put the F5s in. But I had architectural questions, let's say.
2: Well, yeah, I mean, my question might might actually dovetail into what you're about to say, but I mean, it sounds like this would be a pretty straightforward job for for an F5 load balancer to do. You're going to stick the, the PSNs, the radius boxes behind the uh, F5s as, as pool members. You're going to build pool around them and do some health checks, then throw a virtual IP on the front, and you're going to aim your uh, access points and so on at that virtual IP. And you're going to let the F5 do whatever the appropriate load balancing mechanism is. It's going to track what the load is on each server. And you mm-hmm. can, there's a whole bunch of different load balancing methods, the F5 will give you. And it seems straightforward. And if you needed to scale you just throw another pool member behind it and something like that. But, but maybe it's not so simple, Dan. Is that where we're going? Well,
1: so <laughs> everything's simple as long as you keep to a two-sentence description of uh, <laughs> <laughs> so. So, there's actually a document from Cisco, and there's Cisco live presentations that you can watch on the all the details of how to get this to actually uh, work smoothly. So, for instance, normally you do source NAT. So, as the traffic hits of uh, if you're like load balancing to a dozen web servers your client hits the VIP, and then the F5 distributes it round robin or something to one of the web servers, and it does source NAT, changes the source IP of the packet so that when the web server responds, it responds and sends the return traffic back through the F5, Uh but the F5 sees both sides of the TCP conversation and then sends it back to the original client. Source NAT messes up radius servers, and it specifically, it messes up a feature called change of authorization which is a feature where if the RADIUS server decides, no, I want to change what VLAN you're on, or I want to change something about your session, it will send a change of authorization back to the original switch or wireless LAN controller to say, hey, there's been a change. It can't do that if it doesn't know the IP of the original originating switch. And it (laughs) doesn't know that if it's done the source NAT. Uh-huh. So right. Cisco's document. I'll say, so here's your first speed bump in terms of deviating from quote unquote kiss or, or simple or what we've normally <laughs> done. So you can't use source net, which means you got to change who the default gateway is on that subnet in your data center and do, you know, that's only the beginning of a couple of different weird things, the stickiness. So mm-hmm. usually you just have to stick the session to the server that you're trying to load balance to or, or stick it based on who was doing the originating request. But wireless LAN controllers might be using, doing authentication for a thousand EPs. Uh So that's not going to load balance if you're just sticking based on the source.
2: Yeah, you'll be stuck based on that. Yeah, that that one box that's on behalf of all those others. And so you won't get an even distribution of those thousand. It's going to be, everybody's going to stick to the one, right? So you got to load balance on some other mechanism.
1: Well, there's a nerd knob for that. Of course, there is. Yeah, so you can go into the F5 or Citrix or whatever your platform of choice is, and inside the Radius packet, there's I think a calling set uh, a calling station ID, which is the MAC address of the original original smartphone or laptop or whatever it was, mm-hmm. and then you can round robin from that. But you see how you've gone quickly from a simple uh, slap an F5 in and go to town to oh, we got to program this thing to do a certain thing, and one difficulty we had is. Our network engineering group, we were thin on F5 skills. Yale is an F5 shop, so that's why we chose that platform. And it did seem that most of Cisco's documentation was for F5, probably because their customers mostly used F5s. Mm-hmm. But it was, it's a, our cloud team was the one that was the main owner of the F5 services that are already in place. So the network engineering team bought their own pair of F5s because we really wanted to kind of own it. Now we own it. <laughs> And and so now we got to do the care and feeding of the F5, which is above and beyond our normal everything else that we're our team is doing. So that was a difficulty.
0: Yeah, it sounds like the F5s came in almost sort of by default. It wasn't like let's do some testing, let's figure out what's best for us, what interfaces we're most comfortable with, which product is going to serve us best. It was like, yeah, but our, the university itself already has relationships, and our the, our primary vendor's documentation is suggesting this. So that's sort of what you ended up with.
1: Yeah, and we knew that if if something went badly, down the hall is the cloud team and uh, their team knew F5 better than us mm-hmm. so we could. But they didn't want to run the project or own the service offering. <laughs> they wanted us to because they have their own 47,000 projects that they're dealing with. Right. Like any IT shop, probably every single one of your listeners, you're trying to fit a 50-hour bag into a 40-hour work week. And, <laughs> you know, that's how IT runs. Yep. I like it. (laughs) Uh, It's the pace that I like to go at, but uh, you know, IT is an interesting beast. So we're all banging away at our projects that we are doing. So anyway, the F5 was gonna be owned by the network engineering group and it was over and above our normal tasks, uh, which we were willing to take on. Like we were were gonna do this because it was necessary to scale out the radius network. Mm -hmm. Great. Uh, Next problem was, If you put in an F5, that's a single point of failure. Just a single F5, yes. There's a single F5, right? Right. So that obviously could go down and wipe out all your radius server action. Uh, And we authenticate wired and wireless. So you'd be dead. Like the whole system relies on the authentication system working correctly. Mm -hmm. All the load balancer vendors have a solution for this, which is buy two of them and put them into an HA pair. Why is it always buy another one?
2: Yeah. <laughs> it is it is it is. <laughs> buy another one and 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 pretend that the system's although it now it's more robust and it's also more fragile all at the same time.
1: Yeah, and funny enough they don't
2: usually have a buy one get one free. <laughs> I worked at a big F five shop, and we used to be like, "Do we actually have to license this F five that we're not using that sits here and standby and does nothing all the time?" We actually had a, a discussion with our rep, who laughed at us about this. But yeah, yeah, you got to license them because uh, come on, man, I got a I got a BMW to put gas in. What are you thinking?
1: Yeah, well, yeah. So you you would obviously buy two because you don't want a single point of failure. But. It's an interesting design phenomenon to have two of something in an HA pair. It's it's coupled together as one logical load balancer. So you really have to think, in my network career, you really have to think hard with how you're doing these HA pairs, whether they're firewalls or load balancers Uh or VPN concentrators. Uh, There's a lot of things that can take out an uh, HA pair Aside from a power supply fails and one of them goes down, I mean, you could have human error. you could have a software bug that uh, messes up both F5s. I mean, there's a number of things that could potentially uh, mess up both of them. It's not a given that one would survive if the other one
2: has a hardware failure. Did you also do redundant switches on the front side and the back side of the F5s, all that kind of stuff too?
1: Oh yeah, we can do that. That, that kind of bread and butter, uh, bread and butter. Us network engineers can do in spades. Yeah, so yeah. that was that was fine, but yeah, the F5s. So we ended up deciding to put in two F5s, but not in an HA pair, two autonomously separately configured F5s, and three radius servers behind each, for a total of six. And that way, I felt comfortable that no matter what happened one of the F5s would survive. Yeah, uh, The three radio servers behind it would survive. And we put them in two different buildings. And that was starting to give me more comfort that this was a super robust, and we didn't need all six radio servers to run smoothly throughout the day. Probably still only needed two, you know, barring some big spike. But we could run on three, even if one of them went down for maintenance, or one of the F5s was down for some other reason. And so that eliminated my HA pair concern
2: in terms of our goal. But by, by not having an HA pair, you, ju- you yeah. just broke them up. is the same design argument you can have about redundant soup engines. Do I have redundant soup engines in a single switch or do I have two switches, two chassis with each with its own supervisor engine and kind of spread my my failure out in, in a different way? Uh, and then there's the discussion of, well, I want two switches, each with a soup engine and a redundant soup engine. And then you're like, well, oh, wait a minute, are we just throwing money? What are we doing? Do I, we're gonna, each of them going to have two soup engines? Why did we have two switches to begin with then? <laughs> yeah. So you can go down that road as well. So I, I, I see where you ended up, especially when you said two different buildings and and you've got enough load capacity on one set. So if you lost one of the well, it's a, a sort of a type of a cluster at this point. Then the other one could pick up the load that's remaining. It, it sounds like, right? Yeah, exactly. And
1: we are trying to hit our journey to five nines. You know, some number of minutes of unavailability per year is what you would get with five nines. And different elements of our network can hit that, but uh, it, depending on what level, you know, the application layer, the network layer, the underlying plumbing we're driving towards that. And I mean, because my university, we have public safety and a police department, our own police department on this network. We have building automation control systems on this network. We have the regular campus. We have a school of medicine. We have clinical spaces where they're seeing patients. We have a small hospital that's part of the university that sees patients. So there are portions of this network that are doing more than just streaming netflix to residential uh um halls <laughs> uh definitely right. by far uh in addition to all the other applications i can't even name uh from admissions to uh class schedule um so it's it's a network that needs to be up and uh, i i felt two separate f5s that we could separately maintain and you know, most of the time, you don't have an outage because something blows up a power supply. It's because you want to bring it down for a um, maintenance window to upgrade the firmware. Yeah. I think we have, you know, for switches and firewalls and routers and load balancers, I think we bring, as a team, I think we bring things down more often to upgrade the firmware than they just have a hard failure. So we have to plan around that.
0: So let me ask though, like the original issue was uh, you had a couple of PSNs and you told. These switches and these wireless controllers, you know, this group send traffic to PSN1 and these switches and these wireless controllers, group B send this traffic to uh, PSN2. And now you've essentially just duplicated this design, but you've put a load balancer in the middle. Uh, Isn't that just kind of back to square one?
1: Yes, in a way. But during that process, that design process, uh, and we were still working with Cisco Advanced Services because we wanted them to bless the setup. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's a bunch of smart folks over there, too. So if if they are able to say, yeah, this is a solid setup, then that's it's pretty solid. But during this period of time, I discovered the iOS XE feature of radius load balancing within the switch and wireless LAN controller software. And I said, hey, that is interesting. That, is, that means that within, say, a switch, and we have 2,000 of them, mm-hmm. Each switch individually decides, Okay, instead of I have this primary and then I have this backup that I only use if the primary fails, I can have six listed and I will just round robin right from right from the switch. And then 2000 switches are individually doing round robin decisions to spread the load. I said, I like that idea. I I gravitated to it pretty quickly and we did some initial testing with one switch on the floor that us and the engineers are on, uh-huh. and saw it in action and said, "Hey, it's doing what it was designed to do." And we were talking to Cisco Advanced Services, and they said, nah, "I don't know. I don't know about that. We've never done that before." Like Cisco is <laughs> a big organization, and different organ different parts of Cisco don't necessarily know everything that's going on in other parts of Cisco. I think yes. is what was uh, happening, which Uh, you would see in any large organization. And they said, well, we've always recommended uh, customers do F5s. Okay. But we we see this other feature. It's in the software. Can we use it? And so we actually worked with them and said, okay, let's have two separate F5s, three radius servers behind each F5, and turn on the iOS XE radius load balancing to balance between the two F5s. And if anybody pulls up the blog, you see this progression of how I described like as yeah. I'm going from step to step to step. And, and this is the background of why we did these steps is we wanted to really make sure that Cisco Advanced Services was on board with, hey, we we like how this is turning out, even though we haven't ever seen any other client do it like this, even though this is our product that mm-hmm. we developed. And so we worked with them closely to say, hey, let's let's try this out. So. That's what we next did is uh, iOS XE-based load balance. So, and our wireless LAN controllers are running, it's the newer controller that Cisco has that runs iOS XE software on the wireless LAN controller. Okay. So it's the same software base as the switches. And we turned it on and we were load balancing across two VIPs, which, it, you know, ultimately load low balances is across the six radius servers that are behind the VIPs. And those are the F5 VIPs? The F5 VIPs. right? Okay. And so after a while, because it was, that that works. I'm not going to say, I mean, it works perfectly fine, but after a while we were poor. So we're pouring a lot of syslogging into a product that we have where we can take, ingest all that syslog information, parse it and get the messages from ice telling us what the average latency is and how much load is on each PSN. Mm -hmm. And we were able to show our colleagues and my boss And Cisco advanced services, hey, this iOS XE system, you know, feature works like a champ. Works great. Look at it. We're hitting all six PSNs fairly evenly. But
0: was it the iOS XE devices making, it wasn't them making the decision on which uh, PSN to hit. It was F5, wasn't it? Because F5 is still intermediate between three
1: of your six PSNs, right? Yes. The switch and the wireless LAN controllers were choosing between two VIPS. So they were load balancing Mm -hmm. 50-50. Yep. And then the F5 was load balancing 33-33-33 behind, you know, to their Radius servers, which would give you a six-way split, roughly speaking. Mm -hmm. But what that enabled us to do is prove out the feature that this iOS XE-based radius load balancing works. I know where you're going with this. Did you
2: eliminate the F5s? Is that what's happening?
1: (laughs) Uh, Yeah, yeah. So... So we actually got a conference call between Cisco Advanced Services and the Cisco ICE like product manager and the, the one of the engineers and the Cisco Catalyst Switch iOS XE engineers. And we kind of got them both in the same room talking at each other. And the Switch Catalyst engineer was saying, yeah, we, we developed this feature and this is what it was supposed to do. And Yale is seeing it work correctly that's because that's what we designed it to do. And the ICE person was going, Oh, okay. I see. we see it working too because Yale has produced these graphs and the and these uh this dashboard that shows exactly what's happening. And so I think all the parties were excited to see it, say, hey, this this feature works really well. And now we have a customer with thousands of switches and you know thousands of uh active users hitting ice load balanced. So the FIs were still there, but we were using the iOS XE radius load balancing feature inside the Cisco. Catalyst switch, it was not software that was developed. It was in the switch.
0: So may- maybe there's something I'm not understanding here because the way you described what uh, the iOS XE is doing doesn't really sound like load balancing to me. It's just kind of failing over to the next possible instance. And that doesn't really seem like it's splitting oh. the load necessarily. It's more just this one didn't work. So I'm going to go talk to this one. And if this one works, then that's where everybody's going to go. Right. And don't you just sort of get it?
1: A- By default, you're exactly right. It just uses the first one listed. You can list six in the config, six mm-hmm. servers, but it'll only use the first one until it fails. It mm-hmm. hits the dead timer and it flips over to the second one. Oh, if that one hits the dead timer, it might flip over to the third one until you enter one command into the switch. I, I, I forget the, the syntax, but it's one command that activates this feature called iOS XE radius load balancing. And once you put this one command in, there's a couple of parameters to adjust the bucket size or something. We just use the default parameters. Mm -hmm. It's one, one command. And as soon as you put that in, if you have six radius servers listed in your config, it will round robin across all six
2: basically doing the work of the F5 now. It's not simply, it's not the original. That radius behavior that you described is is age old. It's worked that way in iOS forever. You put in a list of them and it kind of go. It sticks with one until it can't talk to that one anymore, then it goes to the next one. So you're describing now round robining uh, per request, uh, which is a whole thing that that switch has got to now track state and you're actually asking that switch to do a lot of work. Uh, so it, yeah, I'm not surprised it hasn't been there until recently, but it, so, but, but I guess the question then is: Were you able to engineer out the F5s using that feature, or did you keep it where you're round robin from the switch between the two F5s?
1: So let me address one observation you just made, which is the switch is doing extra work. They actually put some interesting smarts into it. Uh, by now, I, I haven't looked at the source code, but the the document documentation is pretty detailed, and it tries to do things in batches. So it'll batch together like 20 different authentications the first one, the second one, up to 20, and send it to, to just the first radius server. And once it's finished with that batch, it'll look at all the other radius servers, there's five others, and say, okay, do, who has the least outstanding queries or mm-hmm. in-process radius authentications? I'll mm-hmm. pick the one that has the least outstanding, and oh. I'll send the next batch to that guy
2: way smarter than round robin then it's actually okay, yeah. doing some much more observational intelligent load balancing okay that makes more sense it, yes
1: yeah and if and if one radius server starts to get bogged down and there starts to form it starts to form a queue of outstanding requests it will just not use that one anymore because it's got mm. five others that are perfectly good for use without any if you're in our normal operating conditions there's not a lot of load there's not queues forming so it effectively lands in a round robin type of scheme Mm-hmm. But, if, but if one radius server starts to get bogged down for whatever reason, it'll start skipping that one.
0: Okay. Yeah. But the, And this isn't putting too much additional traffic on the network just
1: to find out which radius server to go to? It doesn't test connectivity. It simply looks at its own outstanding queries. It ah, okay. says, uh-huh. if, the, if I have outstanding queries to radius server number three, I'm going to stop round robin through three, and I'm just going to round robin across one, two, four, and five, and six.
0: Okay. That makes more sense. It's looking at what's happening with the sessions that's currently got open or trying to open.
1: Yeah. And another cool thing about the scheme that they landed on is if one of those servers is not really dead, but just having a brownout, it's choking for some reason. It will shed load off of that because this round robin system is happening independently across 2000 switches. So they're all gonna start to figure out in roughly the same amount of time that radius server number three is not doing well, mm-hmm. or it's 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 got more load on it than everybody else, and then it will just start shedding load away from it in a very distributed fashion. So you have the advantages of being a distributed process that's happening versus a centralized process that might be happening with an F5. And I like the distributed process because there's no single point of failure and kind of it's collectively the knowledge of everyone forms into one big knowledge pool of all right the third guy is not doing well and so they start to shed load
0: that's what was throwing me about this setup because I was thinking for something like load balancing you kind of want to centralize that because you want a central intelligence that's understanding you know incoming and outgoing loads and how to spread them across most efficiently whereas an individual switch just round robin through a bunch of servers is essentially acting in its own best interest and if you have thousands of devices acting in their own best interest that's not load balancing. That's just chaos. But it sounds like that there is <laughs> this kind of an, I guess maybe an unintended effect of distributing intelligence the way they've designed this capability through your infrastructure.
1: Yeah, two thousand people all acting in their own best self interest <laughs> actually ends up being not <laughs> chaos. Yeah. Yeah. You ever hear that psychologists have done this ex- uh, experiment at county fair? They'll ask, you know, ten thousand people to guess the weight of a heifer. Mm-hmm. and it's everyone from experienced people from a farm that have worked on their farm their whole life to joe random person that has no idea the difference between uh, any a chicken and a cow
3: mm-hmm.
1: and they'll all put in guesses and put it in a bottle and at the end of the day the psychologists take an average of all those guesses and they'll nail it mm-hmm. That's interesting. it's an interesting philosophy challenge to see why crowds and land on the right decision. Now that's humans, (laughs) but interestingly enough, these switches figure it out too.
0: Yeah, I guess I was thinking more like, you know, a bunch of people trying to get into a stadium and exit, uh, you know, entry one is too crowded. So they all rush to number two and that gets too crowded. So they all rush to number three and then you just have chaos. But no, it sounds like, yeah, some distributed intelligence (laughs) happened. So, and I guess the final uptake then is that you felt confident enough in this system to pull the F5s.
1: Yeah. So not yet. Oh, I mean, confidence is built upon (laughs) experimentation. uh, You know, you don't want to just herky-jerky shift from architecture to architecture. I think we took uh, uh, like a single building or maybe even a single floor, maybe a single building, and we peeled that out and said, "Okay, these six switches, we're going to list all six radio servers individually, turn on the iOS XE load balancing. You're not going through the F5s anymore. You're going, you're going to hit the the radio servers directly and let's see how you behave. Mm -hmm. And that showed us the load balancing in action, six way load balancing, not just two way load balancing. And so we said, okay, that works great. Let's try, you know, another building. And then we tried an entire wireless LAN controller that was handling many, many, many connections and that worked great. Actually, uh, our other vendor that we're migrating off of for wireless, they had a load balancing feature. I'm sure it's implemented slightly differently from how Cisco did it, but they had a load balancing feature. We turned it on in that platform, and that worked well. So we went through that process, and telemetry and data gathering and understanding how the network works is critical because you don't know what you're doing if you can't measure ahead of time and then measure afterwards. And Uh, see the behavior of the system. I'm a huge fan of measuring and uh, analytics and Mm -hmm. the proper, you know, whether it's SNMP or something more advanced, you got to have your finger on the pulse of what's going on. And so after that initial test, we ultimately, we pulled the F5s and all the switches and two, four, six, eight, I think we have 10 wireless LAN controllers handling different areas of SD access uh, are all going directly to all six PSNs. And we measure the load and they're not perfectly, it's not perfectly balanced within like 1%. Sure. But that wasn't the intention. That wasn't right. the goal. It load balances within 25%, uh, mm-hmm. give or take. And we have had a point where we did take PSNs down for maintenance, cause you upgrade the code uh, like a maintenance window. And we'll take one of them down, upgrade the code. And we can see from the graphs in real time, that all the load sheds off that PSN and drops to zero. And the other five PSNs pick up the slack, we finish upgrading the code, we bring it back online, and then load ramps back up on that PSN and bounces across. And then we repeat five more times to get all of them upgraded.
3: Uh,
0: Now you raise another question. You were able to do this because of this feature in iOS XE, uh, but yeah, I think you said you also had another vendor, a different vendor that also had this capability. But I'm curious if I was in a, you know, uh, a heterogeneous environment, uh, could I get away with it, uh, or would I still need to have the load balancers in place?
1: Without your vendor being able to do the load the low balancing from the gear, you would absolutely be needing an F5 mm-hmm. or or a Citrix load, you know, or, or a 10 or uh Kemp or whatever. Sure. One of the things we did notice when we were specking out the F5s, which helped. The process is f5s and and other load balancers excel at doing http tls decrypt re-encrypt mm-hmm. uh, and doing a lot of state tracking a lot of uh, different proxying functions mm-hmm. here we're just trying to round robin some uh, udp sessions yeah. right so yeah. even the smallest platforms we might not maybe not the smallest but like the second to smallest platform the f5 had is the one that we ended up buying because the horsepower of that thing was in well in excess of what we needed to do just to round robin, some UDP packets. Mm. So that was good. Yeah. So, I mean, you would absolutely, I mean, there'd be no way around it without this feature. You would need an F5 to scale out Yeah. Uh, with this feature. The F5 has no value proposition for you. It doesn't do anything. That's what our data suggested. And we're happy with the setup and the care and feeding of the F5 gone. Right. Yeah. It's not in the system anymore. Uh, when you can remove components from an architecture and the architecture is perfectly fine without, you know, the, the same, that's a win.
0: Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Although I'm wondering, you know, you, you bought two F5s. Uh, they're known to be spendy. Uh, did <laughs> After saying, oh, now we can pull them. Did uh, somebody from the budget office come down and, and have a visit with you about that?
1: No, uh, thankfully, no. Uh, they're in our lab waiting for their next assignment, which may or may not come. The cloud team I certainly could ask to use them, uh, you know, so we haven't had a new project for them, but like I said, they we bought like really small units, so that was to our benefit.
0: Oh, okay, because you weren't needing to do, you know, uh, TLS interception and decrypt and so on, so you could buy sort of the, the lower end, less expensive devices.
1: Yeah, on the spec sheets, the UDP or or just simple load balancing functions, but that line on the spec sheet is an order of magnitude higher than the full SSL yep. TLS decoding, re-encoding like line item. Yeah. So you're you can totally get away with a lower end box, uh, which we did. And it was fine. Like we the the lower end box had plenty of horsepower for thousands and thousands of sessions. You need a bigger box when you start to do TLS and Proxy functions, yeah. So it's it's also part of a huge, bigger project too, because the SD access rollout across these three hundred buildings and you know multiple years of uh, project teams and effort. So I don't know uh, how much of a dent on that big budget. Uh, I mean, it didn't dent the the main budget, so. So that was good. We we we're trying to, we obviously were good stewards of the resources that we have. Of course. Uh, but when it comes to a better system that's going to have fewer abnormalities or, or or fewer outages per year, because you've removed components that needed care and feeding, uh-huh. nobody's going to say, no, 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 put the FIs back in. They're not- We uh, paid for am- them. You're going to use them. <laughs> they're not amortized out on the, on the ledger yet.
0: <laughs> and I'm guessing the spend on the SD access is probably providing cover for, you know, budget-wise, a lot of- things like that. It's a big, it's a big number, I'm guessing.
1: Yeah. uh, Cisco is a great partner and they've been working with us uh, directly with the SD access rollout, which is a whole nother topic. I mean, that, that's a big topic right there. It's a, it's it's a product that is giving us a lot of benefit over and above the old network architecture we had, which was showing some uh, was, we needed a new architecture on the campus to suit the needs of uh, all those other components and uh, departments that I mentioned previously. Uh, We have some high-end science going on with large data sets. They send data back and forth to CERN, and we have a quantum lab going in. So the network is going to be a huge player in some of the university's endeavors. Mm -hmm. So uh, this big new campus network is going to play big dividends. We're using a lot of 25 gigabits per second ethernet With two uplinks where buildings used to be serviced by one gig. So, yeah, you know, it's a big project. 25 gig in the campus? Yeah, yeah. We use uh, when we have a CAT 9400 chassis, we do two by 25 uplinks to an intermediate pair of nodes. If it's the smaller CAT 9300L, we do two by 10s because that's what that platform does. Uh, So, it depends on what kind of closet and how what the density of the closet is. Thanks. I think overall, this F five uh, architecture uh, and the resulting uh, load balancing from the switches is a it comes under a broader category of how we look at systems as engineers, uh-huh. which is a big part of what I've been trying to uh, work on as an architect and as an engineer. You know, the and the HA pair uh, phenomenon. Uh, you know, when people say that it can't, you know, there's two of them so you're you're good that that's the redundancy right uh sometimes we take it for granted oh yeah yeah that's that's good i mean if i said that the only way a data center could possibly fail is if the power and the air conditioning failed at the same time and what is the chances of that happening no no everybody would realize that's a that's a crazy comment because they're they're coupled systems like one's going to fail if the other one fails like they have a shared state there but if you know, the other hand, I said, well, there's two firewalls. And, you know, the only way that internet access for the entire organization would fail is if both of them failed. And what are the chances of that happening? Sometimes we kind of, you know, nodding, oh, yeah, we assume that these systems are well designed and they're loosely coupled and that they, they don't share state or, or they won't both go down. And, I always wanna make sure that I'm challenging uh, my colleagues or people that we talk to in the industry to say, hey, is that really true? Like, how do we design systems so that we are driving towards those five nines of reliability? Right,
0: I think it's also interesting that your primary vendor had a capability that the vendor itself didn't really even know about. You sort of stumbled across it and were like,
1: hey, can we use this? And they were like, I don't know, let's check it out. The vendors are, the IT scene is constantly changing. And it's in flux all the time. And it's one of the things that I really love about this field. And so that's a it's a moving target. And you're also in a pickup truck and the target is moving and you're moving. So the network engineering and IT in general is you have to stay on top. When vendors say that something is true or something is the case, I mean, they're not trying to lead you astray or, or, or give you bad information, but the whole picture is needed, uh-huh. and uh, as a systems architect, we're called upon uh, to make sure that we're designing things that are robust. I like the term anti-fragile uh-huh. because you're trying to design systems that resist, actively resist breaking down when one of the components break down. Uh-huh. So that's what we're driving at. I'm I'm always struck by the idea that civil engineering, mechanical engineering, these fields have been around for. You know thousands of years and even electrical engineering which has you know not been around as long but it's been around much longer than computer science and the it infrastructures that we build today uh-huh. and they know that you cannot build systems that have only a 97 percent success rate or only you know they're trying to build systems that people's lives depend on that infrastructure you know that cities are built on and their fields have a lot more maturity I feel, than the computer science and software and some of these uh, IT systems that we build. And so we need to step up to the bar as network engineers, I feel, and really challenge ourselves over the next decades to come up to speed and build robust, reliable systems.
0: I can get behind that sentiment 100%. Yeah, I think it would be nice if the the vendors also thought
1: that way. Yeah, code quality is a struggle. Code quality is number one, probably. Yeah. You know, sometimes there's a constant barrage of new features, and I sometimes don't want the features. I just want you to make it even, you know, more robust, right, or re- less resistant to to failure. And consumer grade stuff that's connecting to our network is on another whole level of poor code quality. Uh, so that's our main problem. Is anybody? So at a university, it's a lot of BYOD. That you right. would not see that much BYOD at, say, an enterprise network uh, or in healthcare or something. So yep. that is throws a huge variable into the system. And it's, and it's an exciting variable because it really pushes you to design systems around unknowns.
0: I, I feel like you've come up with a, maybe a new metric we can implement in the networking space, which is active uh, failure resistance, ARF. Uh, so let's, let's, <laughs> let's push that.
1: Yeah, uh, HA pairs of whatever it is. Can get into split brain as well yeah they're fighting each other trying to decide who should be forwarding traffic and who should be you know it 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 happens with any ha technology and uh we have to go in there we have to go into an ha setup because i use them actively in our current network uh ha pairs of whatever so Mm -hmm. it's not like you can avoid it but you have you want to go into it with your eyes open and say okay here's my failure modes Here's how one will fail, but the other one will survive. What can I do to make sure that that happens? So it's a challenge.
0: Uh, well, Dan, thank you for coming on to, to share experiences. I really enjoyed this discussion. Um, if folks want to uh, find you online or get in touch with you
1: or whatever, or see what you're up to, where can they go? I am on LinkedIn, so uh, people can hit me on LinkedIn. I don't do a lot of social networking, so I I think I am on X, but you'll never reach me because i never check it
0: okay uh and as i mentioned uh this episode is based on some blogs you wrote we'll have the links to those in the show notes uh, if folks want to read up on it uh ethan where can folks get in touch with you
2: linkedin's the best place for me just look for ethan banks you'll find me there and i post nerdy stuff to try to help you keep up with what's going on in it
0: absolutely i'm drew Condor murray i'm also on linkedin uh, and if you want another way to reach out to us, Packet Pushers has a Slack channel. You can join for free, hang out with a bunch of other network engineers and infrastructure nerds. You can uh, ask questions, get advice, share memes, and just generally uh, come and hang out and have fun. That's all PacketPushers.net/slash-slack. Uh, thank you so much for listening. We value your time. We appreciate your time. We hope you found this useful. Uh, if you want to find out more about what we're up to, uh, check out PacketPushers.net. We just redesigned the site, so come and have a look if you haven't been in a while. Check it out, uh, and we welcome your feedback and comments. And as always. Always remember that too much networking would never be enough.